John chapter 4 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. John chapter 4. In the last couple weeks, we've been just kind of pausing and taking time to remind ourselves about who we are. We've been talking about our core. And we, we launched this series a few weeks ago, and we talked about our core being a gospel-central church. And then we talked about our heart for making disciples and how we want to be a church in this city that makes disciples. And today we're going to talk about our core being a multi-ethnic church that we are Uh, We want to see gospel diversity happening in our church. So John chapter 4 is what we're going to look at and we're going to read a large portion of scripture. So get ready. Don't fall asleep on me. John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42 is what we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42. If you need to nudge your neighbor when they start nodding off, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, Let your neighbor know you're going to do that. John chapter 4, verse 1 through 42. Hear now the words of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The very words of God. Amen? Amen. I was 14 years old without a care in the world. I was riding in the back seat, my brother on the other side of me in the back seat as well, and two of our older friends in their early 20s, one driving and one in the front passenger seat. And we see it and our hearts begin to pound. We see in in Memphis the lights are blue, but in St. Louis the lights are red. Bright red lights in the rear view mirror, And we get pulled over to the right side of the road. The police shine their lights on the car very quickly. And all of a sudden, there's not just one car, but there are three police cars behind us. The police get out of their car, and many of them begin shining their flashing lights on four black men sitting in a car. The driver rolls down the window and he says, Officer, what's the problem? The officer responds to him, Shut your mouth and get out of the car. They get all of us out of the car. They sit us on the sidewalk and they begin to question us. Where are you going? Where are you been? While the other officers are ransacking the vehicle, flipping up the seats, opening the hood, opening the trunk, checking every crevice of this car. I'm sitting there wondering what's going on when one of the officers, true story, smacks my hat off of my head. And my 14-year-old mind says to him, hey man, you can't do that. 
And he looks me in my face and says to me, shut up before I take you in the alley and shoot you. True story. 14 years old. 14 years old. And when they find no narcotics, they get back in their cars and they drive away with us sitting there on the curb. I can tell you more and more stories just like that one. Growing up and experiencing interactions with the police. But I, I, I'd like to ask you, how do you feel when you get pulled over by the police? How, how, how do you respond? Because I can tell you, as a black man, I can tell you how I respond. You know what I do? I quickly put my hands on the steering wheel and I try not to move at all. And I look in my side mirror as the officer pursues, and I let down my window, and when he asks for my license and my insurance, I ask for permission to reach to my back pocket, and I ask for permission to reach over to the glove box. How do you respond? And if you think about all that is happening in not just our city, but also abroad, it would be clear to us, you would have to live under a rock to figure out that we are not divided. We are. There are very real divisions. Did you see the paper when a craziness and chaos happened at the Kroger at Poplar Plaza? Did you see how the journalists jumped on the racial bandwagon? Do you see in the news what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri, just 10 minutes away from where I grew up? Do you see what's happening there? And I want to tell you this morning, we are divided. We are divided. That's a problem. Downtown, I would love to tell you that the church is different. I would love to tell you this morning, I would love to stand here and declare to you that the church of Jesus Christ is much different than the world, but sadly enough, it is not. There's over 3,000 churches in Memphis, Tennessee. Very few of them have more than 20% minority group. We are divided. And when you come to this text this morning, what we will see is division. You see division. And, and I ask myself as I'm studying this passage all week, what is the answer? Are there any solutions to this mess that we see on the day-to-day, all over the news, in our own lives? Are there any solutions to this mess? I think there is. I think there is. What pulls us together? I think our passage this morning speaks to this. This morning I want us to see a few main ideas. We'll see that the gospel, that gospel diversity requires intentionality. We'll see that gospel diversity requires giving up some rights. And lastly, we'll see that gospel diversity declares that the world... To, to the world that Jesus is the satisfying living water. Part of our core, our essence, what makes us who we are, is that we, are, we long to be a diverse body of believers on journey together. But before we go to work, let's pray. Father God, would you help us this morning? 
Would you make the fog clear this morning? Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to us in a very real way. Give us a sense of your presence here this morning even more. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word will not return to you void. So, Lord, I don't have to worry this morning because your word, not mine, but your word, will not return to you void. So would you give us, your people, a word from you. Lord, I do pray for your anointing this morning. I pray for a special work this morning that we may have eyes to hear and eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would love to say and do this morning. Lord, I pray that you would move me aside. In Jesus' name, amen. So, several weeks ago, we looked at the story of the adulterous woman. And we we saw in John uh, that the hope um, for a gospel-centered church is that we would welcome the broken into this body. We also said that John has a mission in his gospel. And we found that mission in John's gospel. The purpose in John 20 verse 31 said this. But these are written, meaning this book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. See the same thing of having life come up here in our passage. But he said, These things were written that you may have a life and that you may believe that Jesus is actually the Christ. So John's gospel is literally going to make a case for that. And I think this story does as well. It's the same reason Jesus would say things like, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. His goal is to convince those who struggle with the reality that Jesus is the Christ. He really is God. That's what John's gospel is laboring to prove to us. Directly before our passage, Jesus has a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And on how to gain eternal life. If you know anything about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is a wealthy man. Um, He's a man of status. He's been trained in theology. Um, And Jesus says to him, you need me. We're going to get back to that at the end um, this morning. Then Jesus gets to the Samaritan woman in our passage. Jesus realizes that the Pharisees are hot on his trail, so he leaves Judea for Galilee. It is a three-day grueling walking journey on foot. And some theologians say that there is another way to Galilee, but this is the shortest route and the less hilly terrain is on this route through Samaria. So Jesus takes that journey through Samaria. It's around noon and Jesus is tired from his journey, so he finds rest at Jacob's well in Samaria. And when the Samaritan woman comes to draw water at the hottest part of the day, Jesus is sitting there. And one of the things I think we need to see is to see that the gospel, that gospel diversity takes intentionality. Gospel diversity requires intentionality. Look at verse 7 through 9 with me. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, 
Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. You've got to see the intentionality there. Jesus could have walked away. He knows what custom is. He could have walked away. He could have not said a word to this woman. But Jesus intentionally opens his mouth and he says to this woman, Give me a drink. Jews and Samaritans, they literally had, they wanted nothing to do with one another. The Samaritans were created when the Assyrians kind of came in and took over Samaria. And then they filled Samaria with foreigners. And they only deported out the high and prestigious Israelites. And the one, the Israelites that were left there, they were lower class Israelites. They began to intermingle and intermarry marry with, with the Samaritans that were the foreigners that were there. And so the foreigners and the lower class class Israelites get together, they begin to marry, and they begin to build families, and you get the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. Um, 50, 60 years ago, the Samaritans will be called mulattoes. They were half-breeds, and so they were looked down upon. They were a product of the lower class and foreigners. And in that sense... Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. A strict Jew man wouldn't even eat or drink from the dish of a Samaritan person. Also Jews thought Samaritan women were from birth consistently on their menstrual cycle. And because of that, uh, they were unclean all the time. And so you couldn't even talk to them, you couldn't even touch them because women were considered, Samaritan women were considered unclean. Jesus' own disciples are shocked that even um, they see Jesus talking to to this woman. Jesus knows the cultural no-nos. He knows very well, and yet he intentionally says to this woman, Give me a drink. He could have kept quiet, he could have walked away, but he initiates towards this woman and he says to her, Give me a drink. I love what Dr. Ross says. He says this, God's intention for diversity begins with the very beginning of human history in Genesis. All of humanity is created in the image of God. We were created with the intention of reflecting unity in Yahweh in in midst of diversity. I love it. He says God was intentional from the very beginning. He was intentional in marking us with His image for us to display to the world. And we see the same intention in Jesus in initiating towards this woman. It's so crazy to me, you know, how you can peruse on Facebook sometimes. You peruse on social media and Facebook has gotten really, really sneaky. Really, really sneaky. Um, the other day, I'm on Facebook, uh, and I, I saw something that I was just Googling for. You know what I mean? And so, um, I was looking for some speakers or whatever, so I'm just cruising on different websites for speakers. And all of a sudden, I see those same speakers on Facebook, in the side ad. I'm like, uh, that's weird. And it kind of caught me, caught me off guard because the first time I saw it happen, I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Look, I was just looking for that. 
Um, and then the second or third time, I'm like, wait a minute. Something is not right. They are very intentional about their marketing practices. Scary, yes, but very intentional about their marketing practices. And what we see Jesus doing is that same intention. He says to this woman, give me a drink. He knows the cultural norms. He knows there are cultural no-nos. Not only is she a woman, but she's also a woman of Samaria. And Jesus initiates toward her. And I think what we learn from this is in the same way you and I ought to be initiating toward those Samaritan women. If we are to be a gospel-centered church, if we are to be a gospel-centered church that loves diversity and values gospel diversity, we will be intentional about the relationships we have, about who our children are hanging around. About where we buy a home and where we work. and We will be intentional about those things just as Jesus was. I want to tell you this morning, if we are not intentional about the relationships we have, the company that we carry, what our dinner table looks like, the children that our children hang out with, we will not be the gospel diverse church that we desire to be. Jesus says, it's a big deal to me. Yeah, I know what society says. And I think Memphians, we can learn from this. Because isn't it a bit strange when white folks and black folks hang out together? I think it's strange to Memphians. And what a testament to our city would it be if, if we could really do life together. Our community groups are hanging out in public places and people see different people from different sides of the tracks really doing life together. And they think to themselves, man, they, they look like they like one another. We have to be intentional if we are to be the gospel-centered church that we long to be. We've got to be willing to say, give me a drink, even when it's culturally unacceptable. Secondly, we need to see that gospel diversity requires giving up some rights. Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. He tells her, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. And I would have given you living water. And this woman, she doesn't really understand, y'all. She doesn't understand what's going on. Look at verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman still, Jesus tells her that, the woman still doesn't quite understand. To clear up the muddy waters, Jesus says to her, go get your husband. Go, go, go get your husband. Jesus is going to prove to her that he is who he is. And she says to him, I, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know what you say is true. You don't have a husband. And the last five didn't work out either. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband. And Jesus shows her who he is. He begins to tell her about worship. He tells her that the hour is coming and is now here. That God is looking for people who would really want to worship Him and experience very real salvation. 
The woman agrees that the Messiah is coming. She says, yeah, I know. I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is standing there like, the Messiah is not coming. Here I am. I remember one time um, I went to visit uh, some folks in the hospital. They had a new baby and uh, got to the hospital room and was sitting down with the family and just hanging out. They had some relatives from out of town, in town. And uh, after about 30, 45 minutes, we're just laughing and and cracking jokes with one another. Um, One of the cousins, I believe, says to, to mom in the hospital bed, Hey, didn't you say one of your pastors is coming up here? When is he coming? And I was like, hey, that would be me. (laughs) Um, That's what Jesus is doing here. This woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. Jesus wants to say to her, here I am. I am here. I'm sitting right in your midst. I'm right in front of you. But when when we talk about putting aside our rights, the disciples... They come back and see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman. And they're taken back by it. They know the cultural no-nos as well. And they know that not only is she from Samaria, but she's a woman. And so they're thinking to themselves, why in the world is Jesus talking to this woman? But, but, but they don't say anything. And we know from history that the disciples are not shy. But they don't say anything. When we're talking about putting our rights aside, look at verse 29. The woman says this, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the the Christ? The disciples then tell Jesus to eat. And he responds by saying, I've got plenty of food already. And they're like, did somebody bring you some food? And then in verse 34, look at this. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. See, instead of blurting out the disciples, they put their rights aside. They see Jesus talking to this woman and they want to see what's about to come of it. They know there's a lesson there. They put their rights aside. Jesus puts his rights aside. He is breaking custom. He understands. He, he puts his rights aside. This woman goes to her friends and to tell them about this Jewish man who they don't do, they don't live in relationship with Jews. They, she puts her rights aside. What I want to make note of here is what you see from Jesus' actions. You see a man of privilege. He's a Jewish man. He's a man. And in antiquity, that meant a lot. He had privilege. He had power. He had authority as a rabbi. He had folks following him. And Jesus gets this. this. He leverages his power. Jesus leverages his influence He leverages all that he has, his intellect. He leverages his resources to engage this woman and he puts his rights aside. He leverages his power, his authority, his resources, his money. And he engages this woman. Um, So, you know, the fiancé and I were planning for a wedding, right? Um... And uh, wedding planning is very hard. I'll just say that. Um, so the other day we're talking about a wedding cake. 
And, you know, Whitney, Whitney is asking me about a wedding cake. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't She's like, oh, we got to do this tasting or whatever. I'm like, I don't want to do a wedding cake tasting. I don't, I don't care what the cake tastes like. You know what I mean? Like, as long as it looks good, we can take some pictures by it. I don't really care what the cake tastes like. And she, she kind of, she got offended by that. Um, there's been other things. We're planning this wedding, and as we're going through this wedding process, um, stuff is very expensive. Let's just say that. And I'm like, uh, we don't need that. We, why do we need that? Um, and so we, we have these tight, tense arguments, and I'm having to learn, y'all. I ain't got there yet. I'm being honest. I'm having to learn to kind of put down those rights. To, to put them aside is hard. Because I don't care what the cake looks like. And I need to put down my rights and hear her out and to really feel where she is and how much she cares about this thing. Um, and I care too. I really do. But I've got to put my, my rights aside. And that's what Jesus does here. He puts his rights aside, what he thinks he deserves, and he leverages his influence and his power. And I want to tell you this morning, if you and I are to be the gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church that we're called to be in this city, there are some folks in here who are going to have to leverage their influence to pursue others. Leverage your resources to pursue others. That's what Jesus does. For the cause of being with this woman who is down and out. He leverages what he has. The disciples keep their mouths closed when they could have spoke up. They put their rights aside. And here we are. We are pursuing a gospel-centered church in Memphis, Tennessee. A tough place to do that. Um, And it gets kind of weird at times, right? You can be honest with me. I know. Um, Because you walk in the door and maybe the music isn't what you're used to, right? Um, Maybe the service isn't as liturgical as you're used to. Maybe maybe nobody says amen during the preaching. Like you're used to a call and response kind of style. And maybe nobody says anything or you're afraid to lift your hands at times or to, to, to yell out to the Lord. Or maybe it feels different. And you got the right to leave for a place that's more comfortable. And I think that's what we see here. We see Jesus, the disciples, and even this woman as she go declares the message that she heard from Jesus. They are putting their rights aside and saying this is for the greater good. I think that's what we ought to be doing for our church. Lastly, gospel diversity declares to the world that Jesus is satisfying. He is the satisfying living water for all. He is the satisfying living water for all. Look at verse 14. Jesus points the woman to living water. Whoever drinks the water that I will give will never thirst again. In them will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
Jesus stay there a couple days. And after just a couple days, look at verse 41 and verse 42. And many more believed because of His word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. People actually believed in Jesus. Think back to Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus is a man of status. He is a man of influence. He is a man of power. He has studied theology. He knows the Pentateuch very well. And Jesus says to him, You need me. Then we get to one chapter later, just a few verses later, right here in chapter 4, a Samaritan woman who has no status. She's just a woman who has been morally bankrupt. Jesus says to this woman, you need me. And I love the picture of a Nicodemus who is a man of influence and a Samaritan woman who is at the bottom of the bottom. He says to both of them, you need me. Doesn't matter where you are. Where you think you are. Jesus says, you you need me. You're more sinful than you could ever begin to know. You need me. And that's what I love about the the multi-ethnic church is because it brings both together from all different sides of the spectrum. It brings us all together under the banner of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need Him. That we need Him. We need Him. We need Thee, oh, we need Thee. Every single hour, we need Thee. That's what we see here from Jesus. He's showing us how we have a deep need. And one of the things I love about the multi-ethnic church is, even though the music may not be exactly what you're used to, the preaching may not be exact, well, it is, but no, I'm just joking. Um, may not be exactly what you're used to. Jesus says, you still need me. And we get to come together because he pursued us when we were all in the Samaritan woman's position. And He loved us enough to be obedient to death on the cross. He said yes to death when you and I should have been in that place. He said yes to it. And He was buried and He rose again. And that's some kind of love. And now, because of that, we are all on the same playing field. And we need to say yes to Him together. we got to say yes to Him. Doesn't matter how much money you make, you gotta say yes to him. It doesn't matter what political, uh, agenda you have, you gotta say yes to him. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the projects or one of the wealthiest condos in downtown Memphis, you gotta say yes to him because you need him. You need him. What this shows us 
is that we can come together under the banner of Jesus Christ because the gospel is not just for the wealthy and those of influence and the gospel is not just for the down and out but the gospel is for all of us and if we want to be the gospel-centered, disciple-making, multi-ethnic church we've got to do just that and I know it's bad. We see the news. I've been on the curb. I know it's bad, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is even bigger than that. The gospel of Jesus, the fact that Jesus stood in our place for our sin, is bigger than broken systems. It's bigger. It's better. It's more lovely. It's, it's more beautiful than anything we know. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That unifies us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' example. And Lord, I pray that we would put our lives up to the example of Jesus. And we would do some self-examination. Lord, I pray that you would send us out in our city to leverage our influence, to leverage our power, to leverage our resources for the cause of the multi-ethnic, disciple-making, Christ-centered church. Help us to do that, God. And help us, oh God, to, to long to see our dinner tables change. To long in, to be in relationship with people that don't vote like us. Help us to long for our, friend, our friendships to change and for our children's relationships and our grandchildren's relationships to change. Help us to long for that, Father. Not because we want to be a multi-ethnic church for diversity's sake, but because of the gospel and the testimony that it would cause in the city of Memphis. Help us to that end, O oh God. We need you. We cannot do this alone. And so, Spirit, would you guide every step? We entrust it all to you. We put it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.